Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Scouting Spotlight podcast on the World Football Index. I am your host, Austin Miller, joined, as always, by Tom Robinson. Tom, the weather in both of our locations has warmed up. The sun is out. We're coming close to a World Cup. It's a great time, isn't it? Yeah, it is indeed. You know, the the leagues are coming to an end and uh, maybe less of that for our, our respective teams. My team's obviously still got a couple more games to go, potentially. So, uh, but let's not talk about that. Let's just focus on the good weather and the and the good football that hopefully will come out. The yeah, World league's Cup. coming to an end. Not, not sure that really applies in Brazil, where we are four matches in to the year. <laughs> have plenty of matches up in front of us. Uh, but Tom, what we're going to do on these next couple of episodes of the Scouting Spotlight podcast is... Maybe a little less of the dart throwing that we've done in the past and a little more on focusing in on some of the younger South American players who could feature at the World Cup and who could maybe surprise a European audience. So if you're listening to this podcast after Georgian Girascaeta has done very well in the World Cup, welcome. We did call our shot. We'd like you to know. Uh, but so we're going to break him down as a player, talk a little bit about what he could do at the World Cup and maybe a little bit about the future as well. Tom, I know Gia Hascaeta, a player that you like. I think he's among my favorite players playing in Brazil right now. So talented. Honestly, it's hard to believe he's only 23. Yeah, it's it, in one uh, respect, it feels like he has been around for, for a long time. I remember the first time I saw him play was, I think, the 2014 Copa Libertadores run with Defensor Sporting, where they, they made the semifinals, which was pretty big for quite a, a small Uruguayan club, I think. I don't think any other Uruguayan clubs done as well as that um, since since that run. So he, he was only 19 at the time and he absolutely tore Cruzeiro, the club he now plays for, um, tore them apart twice. And, and they got through it in a, in a decent group as well and beat some big clubs like the strongest that led to go Nacional before losing in the semifinals. And yeah, he was he was just an absolute revelation with his flicks and tricks. I think there was one particular um, either goal or assist he did where he kind of chapeaued uh, a defender and then laid someone on for for a goal. So yeah, ever since then I've always been a big fan of him and and uh, yeah, it's good to see him kind of slowly reaching that peak of his powers. That again, it feels it feels like he he should have maybe. Maybe not kicked on by now, but um, he, he's certainly sort of peaking right at the perfect time before this World Cup. Yeah, Cruzeiro doing the classic South American, ah, they beat us, let's buy them <laughs> type move there. Ah, he split us up and played really well. well. We've got more money than you, Defensor Sporting. Let's bring him on. Uh, that proved to be a pretty good move for Giajasque to Defensor Sporting, as you mentioned, a small Uruguayan club. Cruzeiro, one of the bigger clubs in Brazil, definitely a bigger stage. I'm with you in the sense that, that it feels like maybe he, he should have kind of exploded by now, but I think injury has, has played definitely a part in that. It was a big factor for him last year, missed pretty much the first half of 2017 and then took a while to come back from that. But so far in 2018, Tom, Giajas Gates has been fantastic uh, in the Copa Libertadores. Looks like he's going to get a spot in the World Cup for Uruguay. Uh, it's been a really good year for him. Oh, without a doubt. And as you're saying... It's not one of these players that we're thinking, oh, why hasn't he moved on? He definitely should have. It's more um, a case of him steadily improving and showing his worth for both club and country. And I think, yeah, even though he's 24 next month, I believe, there's still there's still a lot to see from this guy. And and yeah, it's it, the the whole World Cup issue is going to going to be very interesting because as we were talking pre-pod, we were we were kind of thinking where exactly he's going to fit into this this Uruguay squad and and it. 
and we might even see him early doors as someone to pick the lock against the more stubborn defensive teams before maybe being used as an, an impact sub off the bench after that. I mean, where, where, where do you think he might fit in, Austin? Yeah, I, you and I were talking about that. And I think that how you described it is, is probably how I would envision Ahaskaeta playing at the World Cup for Uruguay. Um, you look at what they have in that Group A, and there's not a lot of teams that you feel Uruguay will play against that have more talent than they do. Uh, the initial match against Egypt, I don't know, maybe they decide that they're going to sit back a little bit, and you can see Giahaskaeta on the bench. But against Russia and against Saudi Arabia, those are teams that you would probably expect to sit back, and Uruguay would have a lot of the ball. And he would be the perfect type of player to sit in the middle and, and as you said, pick that lock, ping those passes, set up those two talented attackers. Uh, I don't think he'll play this way for Uruguay, but for Cruzeiro lately, he's been featuring actually a lot on the wing. And that's been really fun to see because he's kind of shown versatility that Tommy didn't necessarily show at any other point. Yeah, that is that is interesting. Obviously, you've seen a lot more of him since he's moved to Brazil, but certainly I would have had him more pegged down as your your typical number 10, someone who's who's very technical, who's got very good good close control and creativity. Obviously, someone who can dribble, which I guess leads to you know, a, a possibility of playing out on the wing. Um, but you wouldn't necessarily say he was like a, a pacey winger as such. So it's very interesting that he's adapted his game and he, he's showing nice versa, versatility there. And I think another thing that's um, that's, that's very impressive about him is he, he does chip in with quite a lot of goals as well. I think it's about one in four over the over the course of his career. So he, he's someone who, who offers a lot and more than any stats can really define, he, he's someone who when you're actually just watching the game, it is pure in enjoyment and just a joy to behold when he's playing. So I think, I think there's enough out there that could, uh, could see a lot of people sit up and take notice of him at this World Cup. Yeah, I, I think so too. And especially when you, you upgrade the talent that he'll be playing with, you know, the Suarez, the Cavani, uh, certainly of a different level than Sasa at Cruzeiro. And he's done quite <laughs> well with players like that at Cruzeiro and, and, you know, setting them up. But when he can kind of be the person who's setting up those goals for those bigger players, I think that will be the type of spotlight moment for him to use the name of the podcast nicely there. Uh, that kind of shows, ooh, this guy's really talented. Why were we not aware of him earlier? Why did we not see him? And some of that, Tom, has been that he hasn't had a ton of chances in the Uruguay squad because Tabata's the manager, has for a long time not really used their younger players, but he's kind of changed his tone on that. And you have Gia Haskaeta now at just the perfect time coming into form ahead of a World Cup and, and looking like that he's in the good graces of his manager. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because... For for a while, probably even ever since the last World Cup, there's been calls in Uruguay for to freshen up the squad, bring in some younger players. And, and for most of the last four years, it didn't seem like he was going to do that. Obviously, recently, we've seen him bring in the likes of Valverde, Bentancur, Vecino, um, even Torreira finally getting in the squad. And De Arasqueta has, has benefited from that as well because he, he was kind of like, the young player that everyone wanted to see incorporated uh, yeah, three or four years ago. And he, he got a few games sort of in 2014, 2015. Um, he, he'd done very well for the under 20 squad at the 20, uh, 2013 under 20 world cup where they, I think they lost to Pogba's France in, in, in the final. So he, he'd shown what he could do at both, you know, junior level for Uruguay and also um, in, in Uruguay for the Fensor. But, 
yeah, he, he seemed like he was really going to get get in there. I think he, he was given the number 10 shirt for the 2015 Copa America, but only made one sub appearance. And then I believe probably sort of the transition to Brazil, those injuries you mentioned as well, kind of saw him drop off the radar with the likes of Gaston Ramirez and Nico Ladeiro being, being favoured a bit more. But then I think more than Tabarez or him being the one who's broken the door down for the youngsters. I think the fact that these other young technical players have, have emerged as well as his great form this year and then the tail end of last year has it's kind of allowed him to sneak in with the rest of them and say, hey, we're actually in a team here that can play some good football. And he, he's that guy, that number 10, who, who can really make the the link between midfield and attack and, and make things click. So... It's it's been a long time coming, um, and it's been a really interesting journey. But we're finally, hopefully, going to get us to see him play. Well, I certainly hope he's going to play a big role at the World Cup for Uruguay. And he's in the type of position that Uruguay needed, kind of that freshening up, as you said. You have the two attackers in Suarez and Cavani. They've shown their class. They're still at a high level. The defense is very veteran and is very solid. But in that midfield, there were a lot of question marks for Uruguay, and it was that link-up play. It felt like, you know, at the 2016 Copa America and kind of in World Cup qualifying, they were so one-dimensional that they would just sit, absorb, and counter. But now, with all of these young players coming through, Gia Hasqueta, chief among them, it feels like Uruguay can be a bit more, and you look at them in the World Cup, and I don't want to go into a World Cup preview podcast here, Tom, but I like Uruguay to make a run at the World Cup, and it's hard not to. Yeah, it's... It's it's um I'm I'm in a sort of similar boat really because I I honestly don't know how it's going to go because part of me thinks are they just going to revert to tried and tested two banks of four and hope the the two exceptional forwards up front can do the business or are they going to actually come out of their shell especially given the group they've got try and play a bit more and if they do the latter then their their is is going to be key to that so it's I'm hoping that it can be successful because it would certainly make Uruguay a little bit more fun to watch in, unless you kind of like that attritional war in the midfield. But um, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be good. Um, on on sort of Darius uh, Keita's skills, I, I noticed, you know, this is one of my favourite things, a bit of, bit of wordplay, that, that he's been nicknamed Aris Caneta for his uh, penchant for nutmegs in Brazil. Um, can, can you confirm that, Austin? Brazil does love a nutmeg, I'll tell you that much. Uh, oftentimes, you'll watch a match, and it doesn't really matter what else happens. The best moment is, is when somebody nutmegs, and the crowd goes, oh, that's the loudest the crowd gets at any point. Uh, yeah, he's very talented. He's very kind of cheeky and technical like that. And, and that's why he's one of my favorite players, because he is, in a sense, that traditional 10, and he can play as that. But he's a little bit more than that. He's not a lot more than that. He's a, he's a passer, and, you know, as we've said, he can pop up with the odd goal here and then, enough to make it a factor, but it's not like he's going to be your team's leading scorer. But he's just so fun to watch because you never quite know what he's going to do. He's always going to find space. He's always going to find that attacker. Um, and that's what has made him so fun to watch for Cruzeiro. Uh, the last two matches that they've played in the Copa Libertadores, they combined for 11 goals, seven against Universidad de Chile, and then four more against Vasco da Gama. And he was a big reason. Chago Nevis was probably the standout in those two matches. But he's just part of this fluid attack. And I think what he's done at club level has been what it has me so excited for what he can do at the national team level because at the club level, he's playing in this fluid attack with a lot of talented players. And that's exactly how Uruguay looked to set up at this World Cup. 
And that's kind of why I'm so excited for him because it feels like this could be that big showcase for him. And this player that we've watched for all these years kind of mature and grow into a player is now going to have this moment. And it's going to be a moment when he can break out. And Tom, I think he knows that as well. His contract was up with Cruzado. I believe at some point during this year, he renewed it for a little bit. But all of the signs point that he's probably done with Cruzado at the end of the World Cup or maybe after this year, depending on what he's able to do. Because the expectation is somebody's going to see him at the World Cup and say, we want him and is going to come in with a good off. Yeah, it definitely definitely feels like this is going to be putting himself in the shop window um, for that move. And, and another quick thing to add about, um, you know, playing with good players around him with the Uruguay squad is there's been a sort of uh, a bit of an experiment with having Diego Laxalt um, at left back um, lately. And those guys both came through the Defence or Sporting Academy, which is a great academy. Um, and they also are in the same under-20s team. So that if they're kind of both playing on that left-hand side, um, for Uruguay, especially if they go for a, I don't know, a more of a, a, a narrow midfield as they often do, then I could see that working well and that certainly helping him to impress his suitors. Um, but yeah, I, I would, it's, it's weird because again, for someone who we've watched for so long and everyone's rated for so long, we haven't seen him necessarily linked with like loads of clubs yet. I think there's suddenly getting uh, a few more rumours um, and I know Apparently, there's teams in Portugal, Spain, Italy, Germany, England, all having a look at him now. But like going back through the rumours over the last few years, and you know, I saw, there was a brief rumour about him going to Orlando City, um, but I don't think he needs to go to MLS now. That's probably better for slightly younger South American players. And I think there was links back in the day to him maybe going to Galatasaray or somewhere in Turkey. Um, I, th- I believe he's got an Italian passport as well, so that would certainly help a move to Europe. Um, and I believe the most sort of credible team looking at him at the moment has been Inter Milan, uh, which which would be a good move, and you know we'd see him uh, link up with uh, another scouting spotlight favourite, Lautaro Martinez. So at the moment, it's it's mainly guesswork as to where he might end up, but it's as you said, the World Cup will be a great way of showing what he can do. But it's, he's not one of these players who has a great, you know, month at World Cup, and then someone buys him and they turn out to be a flop. This is a guy who, you know, look back over his last four or five years, and there's plenty of examples and and, and plenty of signs that th- this is a guy who who could definitely slot into um, some good teams in Europe. Uh, is, is there any anywhere that you think he would be best suited to, Austin? It feels like he's kind of the player who can slot into to any team and, and certainly play a role. And the fact that he's shown himself to be quite versatile this year, you know, playing in the midfield and on the wing, certainly leads me to believe that just about anywhere he would go, as long as it's not too big of a club, would be somewhere effective for him. You know, Inter would be very interesting. Obviously, Martinez, uh, a, a player that you and I have, have both loved. be fun to see those two get together and, and use their forces, uh, you know, kind of a, one of those Europa League caliber Spanish clubs, one of the bigger Turkish clubs. I think those are all spots that Giajaskeeta could go, and, and those are all spots that would certainly be a step up for him in, in class and, and certainly in wages and, and would be good moves for him. Anything stick out to you in particular? I I'm not too sure, really. I, I do think Italy or Spain, somewhere like that, would be, would be a good move. I don't see him quite being physical or, yeah, quite up to the to the pace of maybe a premier league side so 
yeah i i think you could like you said you could you could see him pop up anywhere i think if he does have a good tournament that will significantly boost the chances of him maybe going to a, a slightly bigger club than we maybe would would pick for him right now um but yeah you, you could honestly see him slot in at a even somewhere like Monaco and then them sell him on or a good Portuguese side. But yeah, I, I, I would say, yeah, a team that's kind of Europa League level would be, would be a nice first move. He's, he's not rushed his career just yet. And I can't see him just getting tempted to a club where he's not going to play. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think he'd, I think Italy, Italy or Spain would be my best guess, but I know, I know that's not, <laughs> not exactly nailing it down much. Well, you put two countries can happen close in, there. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm narrowing it down. I'm narrowing it down slightly. I've been burnt by these. Uh, I've been burnt by these predictions in the past. So. I do feel like <laughs> Giahaske is is the type of player that, as this World Cup goes on, and and as hopefully he plays well for Uruguay, you'll see those names kind of start to pop up, as, as it often does at the World Cup, especially with these South American players who haven't made that move yet. You know, such and such are now interested, and in, oh, you know, this club, oh, they want Giahaske, and you know, you can see the headline, Uruguay standout targeted by XX club. So I would think that those rumors will certainly start heating up, especially if, if that performance at the World Cup is is what you and I certainly think he's capable of. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, lazy journalism and transfer rumors always pop up this time of year. So I'm, I'm sure that'll be the case. Um, I mean, what one final thing that I wanted to, to ask you as well is, like, do you see any sort of weaknesses in his game that you think could be improved? Uh, pace, you know, it's not necessarily something you could improve. But he's, as you said, he's not the fastest person. I think that would more play a role for a, for a club that thinks about, oh, he's done well on the wing for Cruzeiro. You know, maybe he could do well on the wing there. That's not really, I think, his strongest suit. Uh, I think his he's best when he's in the midfield as that 10. But he has shown the versatility to kind of play around on the wing in, in kind of a 4-3-3 and then in the midfield as well, kind of rotating between those two for Cruzado. Um, that And then, you know, the injury the injury issues have been there. It cost him a lot of 2017. has certainly kept him out of matches at points. Um, I don't think there's anything that would give any clubs sort of long-term pause. But it is worth noting that, you know, in his four years at Cruzado, he has missed a significant amount of games uh, in both 2016 and 2017. That was kind of one long-term injury that bridged those two years. But I, I do think it is worth keeping in the back of my mind. But I don't think there's anything that would would kind of put me off signing him as a man. I think I've made my thoughts pretty clear here. If I was running a club, Jehas that would be on my team. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I could I could see you uh, luring him in, being you know just giving everything just to get uh, the Arasqueta, even if you just had that luxury number ten and and no yeah, one to and build I'd it around. I'd also play him with Lucas Lima, so I'd, <laughs> I'd play both of them. I'd do the Lau two number tens thing. Yeah, exactly. That's what you want. And do you think that um, if Cruzeiro go deep in the Libertadores, he might be tempted to stick around to the end of the year? Yeah, and they've played really well in the Libertadores, so. I think you could see something where he does stick around until the end of 2018 if that right move isn't there right then. I, I don't think he's one that is, it's guaranteed, okay, he'll play his last game before the World Cup for Cruzeiro and then he's off. That's kind of where I feel Christian Cueva, the Peruvian at Sao Paulo, might be. He's not really getting game time there. Miguel Trauco at Flamengo is, is another one of those players in South America who I think, all right, after the World Cup, they're pretty much clearly not coming back. Kind of like Jorge Valdivia with Palmeiras, it seemed like was going to be in 2014. I don't think that's necessarily 
uh, in the bag for Giajaske, I think it'll be kind of a feel thing. But if that right move is there, I think both Cruzado and the player kind of have this understanding that this is going to be the showcase. They can get good money for him and then reinvest that back into the squad. Cruzado will hang on to a lot of their talent, but I think that's certainly a spot that you could see Giajaske move on. Uh, one final thing, Andre Pierre Gignac is, is the striker on that team that I'm starting for the record. I don't care how much I have to pay for him. I'm getting him. <laughs> Eclectic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're going to be great. We're probably not going to defend very well, oh, but it's going to be awesome. It's going to be fantastic. That will do it for us on this edition of the Scouting Spotlight podcast. Be sure to follow the World Football Index on social media for all the latest from us. Uh, and for all the other Scouting Spotlight podcasts uh, that are certainly there, we've done a whole number of players. We've created quite the library here. Some good. Tom, while I have you quickly before I wrap this up, is there any spot- Scouting Spotlight podcast that you think was our worst call at this point? Uh, I think probably the Jose Luis yeah, Gomez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One That's was, where I was going to. was poor. Um, I, I'm still intrigued to see how Wendell does as well. Oh, wow. Um, I forgot we did that one. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, exactly. But no, I, th- I think at some point we need to do um, a one year on and sort of give everyone a little bit of a review. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. Yeah. More often than not, we've done pretty well. And I think this is one that, that we've done well on as well. So again, be sure to follow us on social media for all the latest from us. All that's left for me to say for now is thanks for listening and goodbye.